from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Join me this morning in reading Psalm 67, found on page 500 in the Pew Bible. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, that your way be known upon the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, O God, has blessed us. May God continue to bless us. Let all the ends of the earth revere him. Mary Claire. Psalm 67 is part of the lectionary for this week. So is the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, verses 23 to 29. Uh, continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. Jesus answered, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I've said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Delighted to welcome all the children who are worshiping with us today. For those children who'd like to participate in godly play, you can come on down. Miss Katie, our uh, director for children's ministry, will we'll meet you here at the door. And as the children depart, I'm going to invite the congregation to stand. Let us sing together our middle hymn, I've Got Peace Like a River, number 623.
may be seated. I invite you to join me in prayer. Lord, break open this word afresh to us so that we would be changed, we would be different people than those who tuned in remotely, who are here in the sanctuary, so that we would be more like Christ Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, on Friday morning, we had our first uh, men's ministry breakfast in over two years. It was uh, quite wonderful. Uh, One of our pastors, Rob Sparks, was able to uh, secure our uh, keynote speaker, a name that may be familiar to many of you, a man by the name of Bill Curry. After winning uh, two Super Bowls, one with the Green Bay Packers and one with the Baltimore uh, Colts, Bill went on to be the head football coach uh, for Georgia Tech and then Alabama and then Kentucky. And then in 2010, Bill was the head coach of the newly minted Georgia State football program. Uh, Coach Curry, during his talk, told uh, many stories about his uh, playing days, about his coaching days, about his life, and was able to uh, weave in the good news of the gospel, weave in some uh, wonderful wisdom uh, about our faith and our life together uh, throughout his winsome and humble talk. And one of the stories he told us was about his relationship with the Hall of Fame uh, coach Vince Lombardi. Uh, Curry was actually drafted out of Georgia Tech as a center by the Packers uh, with their very last pick in the very last round of the 1964 NFL draft. He was the 279th player selected overall. And by his own admittance, when he showed up in Green Bay, uh, Curry was young He was judgmental. He was a deeply committed Christian, but he uh, was somewhat self-righteous and somewhat uh, hyper-pious about his faith, which made him not really appreciate Lombardi's harsh coaching style nor his proclivity to profanity. When Curry found out that Lombardi was a staunch Catholic and he went to Mass every day, Curry said, good, if anybody needs church, it's Coach Lombardi. Well, in 1967, the NFL had an expansion draft. And uh, an expansion draft is where there's a new team coming into the league. In this case, it was the New Orleans Saints. And players from every team could be left unprotected by the, their team so that the new team uh, could draft them. Uh, Bill Curry got news that he was one of the players that was unprotected by Coach Lombardi, that he would be available for the New Orleans Saints to draft him, which is exactly what happened. Promptly after the draft, he was traded to the Baltimore Colts. Now, at the time, Curry admits that he did not say anything publicly, but he harbored a deep-seated anger and frustration at Coach Lombardi for not protecting him, for not keeping him on the Packers team. Well, before the Super Bowl in 1969, a game in which Curry was the starting center for the Colts, an article appeared in the New York Times. It had a headline that read, Lombardi is not 
Curry's dish. Lombardi is not Curry's dish. The somewhat brief article was filled with critical and disparaging remarks made by Curry on the record about his former coach. Now, he held it in for almost two years, and he just couldn't hold it in anymore. When given the opportunity, he let loose. It was his farewell address, two years too late, but nonetheless was scathing in his remarks. It was everything he wanted to say, but hadn't said. Now, from the time the story broke and as the year progressed, he had former teammates calling him and and seeing him at at meetings and, and functions, and they were challenging him because of what he said about the legendary coach. Some of them who knew Lombardi very well, who stayed in touch with him, let him know that he was crushed, crushed by Curry's remarks. Now, Curry knew he was wrong. He regretted uh, speaking to the Times. He regretted criticizing his former coach. Coach, he, he knew that he shouldn't have said those things. Well, a year went by, and Lombardi was diagnosed with, with colon cancer. And in his final days on this earth, he was in a hospital in Georgetown, and Bill Curry happened to be in D.C. at that very same time. One of his former teammates knew that Curry was in town. He reached out to him by phone and he said, don't you think it's time that you reconcile with Coach? Don't you think it's time that you had a conversation with him? Now, Curry had no intention of going to the hospital. He told his teammates so, to which the teammates said, look, if I have to come to your hotel room and drag you to the hospital, I'm going to do it because now's the time to make peace. Now's the time to do what's right. Coach Curry relented and he went to Georgetown. He went to the hospital. And as he entered the hospital room, he saw Lombardi in the bed. He was emaciated. He was frail. His right arm was hooked up to tubes and IVs. And his left arm was free. And as Curry moved toward the bedside, the great Hall of Fame coach lifted his left arm up. And he opened his left hand. And he gestured Bill to take it, which Bill did. And then he said, Bill, will you pray for me? Will you pray for me? Curry was speechless. He was blown away because he knew that the invitation to pray was their moment of reconciliation. It was their moment to make peace. It was the moment to offer and receive forgiveness. On Friday, as I heard Coach Curry tell that story, I couldn't help but to think about the juxtaposition between what Curry wanted to offer as his final word and what Coach Lombardi's final word looked like. Curry's farewell address to the coach was a critical and judgmental and scathing indictment, not just on Lombardi's coaching style, but on his very character. The Hall of Fame coaches farewell address, however, at least in this conversation, was one of forgiveness, was one of reconciliation, was one of peace. And I invite you to think with me for just a moment in your own life, maybe of something past or maybe something present, When you are in a situation where something is about to end, 
where something is about to conclude. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's as simple as a, as a single conversation, a single interaction with someone, or maybe something more grand, maybe a, a season of life, or even as you are dealing with the reality of your own mortality, as many folks are. Think with me about what kind of farewell address you want to make. Think with me about what kind of discourse, what kind of speech do you want to offer to those that you say goodbye to? What will be your final will and testament? Not about where your stuff is going, but about where your legacy is going. I think of the great musical Hamilton that asked the question at the end of that show, who's going to tell your story? That's an important question. Equally important is what story will they tell? What story will they tell about you? And so much of the story that is told about us is connected to these kinds of addresses, to this kind of discourse, to what we say and what we don't say when we say goodbye. We have to ask ourselves, Will our story be a story of bitterness or will it be a story of regret or anger or hostility or shame or will it be a story of faith, a story of hope, a story of love? Friends, I'm thinking about farewell addresses this morning, what we say and what we choose not to say as we say goodbye uh, because our text from the gospel writer John is part of what is commonly known as the farewell discourse of Christ. The farewell speech of Jesus. And that farewell speech is contained in a few chapters in the Gospel of John. It begins at the Last Supper. The chapter that we read today, the 14th chapter, and it goes all the way through the 17th chapter. And what we hear from Jesus is his closing statement. It's his farewell address to the disciples who are beginning to prepare to do faith and life without him. And he's offering up this final word. Now, in the biblical tradition, farewell discourse, farewell addresses are not uncommon. In fact, they're very common in the Bible and in the ancient world. Jacob gave a farewell address to his 12 sons in Genesis 49. Moses gave a farewell address pretty much throughout the entirety of the book of Deuteronomy. David gave a farewell address to his son Solomon and to the royal court in 1 Chronicles. See, in the ancient world, A traditional farewell address or a farewell discourse would include the most important message that person would want to convey. It was the last shot. It was the last opportunity to say the things that they need to say for the day that will come that they may not see or at least see with the people they are addressing. And so in John 14 through 17, Jesus is communicating something very, very important. So as we think about the way that 
these addresses and this discourse function in the ancient world. As modern Christians, we should have our antenna up and pay close attention to what Jesus is saying in John 14 to 17 because it is the most important thing, at least in this context, that he can say to anyone who would be called his disciple. And one of the things he says is this. Those who love me will keep my word. And my Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. The question is, is how can we love Jesus when he's not around? That was the question the disciples were wondering. It's a question that we wonder. And Jesus gives an answer. You can still love me by keeping my word. Which, of course, begs a natural question. What does it mean to keep Christ's word? What does it mean to obey his word? What does it mean to trust in his word? And what I'd like to do for the remainder of of my time this morning is I want to go back to that farewell discourse and answer that question by the content that Jesus gives us in that farewell address, in that farewell discourse. Because there are at least three dominant themes in these four chapters, three dominant themes that Jesus reiterates and wants us to know as he is about to depart. And the first theme is this. The first theme is that he will not leave his disciples orphaned. He will not leave his disciples orphaned. He will not leave them alone. He says this multiple times in John 14 through 17. He's going to send an advocate. He's going to send somebody who's going to abide with his followers, the very Spirit of God. We're preparing to receive that Spirit once again in the season of Pentecost, which is on the horizon. And so the first word that I think we're called to keep is the truth that we are not alone. That we are not alone. I mean, I just want us to sit with that for just a moment. In an age of anxiety, in an age of disconnection, in an age of isolation, we are not alone. I mean, think about that. That you're not alone in your confusion, that you're not alone in your pain that you're not alone in your shame, that you're not alone as you're at the crossroads of a life-defining decision, that, that you're not alone in your hope, that you're not alone in your isolation or your withdrawal from the world, that you are not alone in your wandering. You're not alone in your grief. You're not alone in your sin or in your fear or in your skepticism or your doubt. I am certain that there are people today within the sound of my voice who desperately need to know the good news that we are not alone. Jesus said it himself, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you now, even until the end of the age. Keep that truth close to your heart. There are some of us who desperately need to know that it's true. 
that in this very moment, we are not left as orphaned, but that Christ is with us and for us this time and forevermore. The second word that we see throughout this farewell discourse is that the disciples have been chosen to carry out Christ's ministry. They've been chosen. He says this time and time again. He wants them, and by proxy, he wants us to know that we are continuing his ministry, that we're continuing his legacy. I think one of the challenges in our modern times, in the year 2022, especially in the West, one of the challenges in keeping this word, in this word that says that we are continuing Christ's ministry, is how everything has become professionalized. How everything has become professionalized, including ministry. Because my hunch is if we did a survey and I asked you to lift up a word that you affiliate or associate with the word ministry, perhaps your first response would be minister, clergy, professional Christians, right? I mean, in our society today, there is a dangerous ecclesiology out there that says that ministers, like the ones up here, our job, our job as ministers is to do the work of ministry on behalf of the congregation. Now, I want you to hold me and every pastor on the staff to account on this. If we ever lead that way, if you ever hear us speak that way, fire us. Because the minister's role is to preach the gospel, administer the sacraments, and to equip the saints for ministry. That's what we do together. We share in that work. We share in the equipping of the saints for both ministry inside and outside the church. Now, I know there's some who have never considered that they have a ministry. You've never considered, you've never applied this notion of ministry to your own life. Some of you even carry a belief that God would never call you to ministry because you are unqualified. I love that old saying that goes something like this, that God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the called. And ministry is not just what happens when somebody's wearing a robe. It's our life together. Ministry is for all of us. And that's what Jesus is saying in his final discourse, is saying that, that you have a ministry to continue, that you have a ministry to proclaim, that we're called to, to do what Jesus has done. In fact, one of the most provocative uh, statements in the farewell discourse is when Jesus says, you will do even greater things than me. I mean, seriously? You will do even greater things than me. So what would it mean for you in your own life to ask this question? What is my ministry? I mean, what's my ministry? What is God calling me to do? Who is God calling me to be? To whom is God calling me to love and bless? What is my ministry? Finally, and I'll close with this, 
the third word. And I think it's the word that summarizes Christ's final will and testament. It summarizes his legacy in total. That we keep Jesus' word, we keep his word by abiding in his love. Christ loves us. That's not just for our elementary students in Sunday school and in godly play. That's for all of us who have occupied pews like these over the course of time. It is the theological core of who we are and what we are about. Christ loves us. He wants to get that message across over and over again in his final words. I love how Brennan Manning puts it. He says, do you believe that the the God of Jesus loves you? beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain, that he loves you when your intellect denies it, your emotions refuse it, your whole being rejects it. Do you believe that God loves without condition or reservation and loves you this moment as you are and not as you should be? Jesus' last word, his going away speech, is that we would love one another. To love ourselves as he has loved us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Friends, to keep Christ's word is to keep the truth that we're never alone. To keep Christ's word is to keep the truth that we have been chosen and God will equip us for ministry. To keep Christ's word is to abide in and live by his love. And when we keep his word, when we do such things, our lives become a discourse. Our lives become an address. They become speech that the church and the world so desperately need to hear. May that be so in our lives for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world and all of God's people say, Amen.